Y'all open with me if you would. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Everybody turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to read 11 through 14. God's given me a word this morning. I believe it's a very simple word. And usually the simple things are the best things. Amen? But Revelation 5, 11 says this, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. That's a, just a powerful verse when you really try to picture it. I can't picture it fully in my, in my mind, but to picture that scene, that's an actual scene taking place in heaven that the Apostle John was allowed to see. And I want to just read this. If you're taking notes, it's Nehemiah 9.6, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Nehemiah says thou, in his prayer, Thou, even Thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and Thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth Thee. These two Scriptures are just two of many in the Bible, in the Word of God, that talk about the fact that our God is God. In that first passage, we read everything in the earth, sea, all the angels in the heaven, all the 24 elders which represent uh, believers of all ages are falling down before the Lord, worshiping Him and saying, all power, all glory, all honor, all blessing be unto the Lord. And Nehemiah says this in the Old Testament, you, even you are Lord alone. You made the heavens and all that's in them and all the host of heaven worships you. And so the Bible makes it very clear throughout the Word of God that the God of the Bible is the one true living God. Amen? He's the one true living God and He reigns over all. He's reigning even the sense over people that don't know the Lord. You know, in sense that He's reigning over all of creation. All authority and power and dominion is His and it's His alone. He's not sharing it with another person. We have the privilege one day that the Bible says that we're going to reign with Christ as kings on the earth because He's allowing us to do that because He has that authority and He can give it to whom He will. Amen? And He's given it to His church to, during the millennium to reign and rule with the Lord. But the question for you and me is not, is God Lord? The question is not, uh, is He Lord? But the question is, for you and me and for all men, will we allow Christ to be our Lord? I know it's a very simple question. And you say, we're well, preaching to the choir. I know I'm preaching to the church. I know I'm preaching to believers. The question still remains, not is He Lord, but will I allow Him to be Christ, to be my Lord? To be my Lord. Not is Jesus Lord, but that, that question is forever settled. Amen? Even unbelievers, okay? This question is still, still settled. You know what I'm saying? He is Lord whether people recognize Him or not. That is forever settled in heaven. Moses said, 
Lord, before thou uh, the mountains were formed or ever thou uh, made the heavens, I mean the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I mean, you're God from everlasting to everlasting. That question is settled. And the Bible says in another Scripture in Revelation, the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. It's exciting sometimes. Like I said, sometimes I zoom in and like to look at little things like we're going to dissect prayer and fasting or or the you know blood covenant or something like this. Sometimes it's good to take a step back and say God is God. To look at He reigns over all, and all the things that are taking place and political things and and things that are happening in our day and age. All of it, God's in control of all of it. He just He sits on His throne and it says He shall reign forever and ever, and that's the God we serve. We have a choice though. Not is He Lord, but am I allowing Him to be Lord in my life? Am I allowing Him to be Lord in my life? Because we do have a choice and we must. We have a will. I thank God we have a will. God always say like an oak tree planted out in the backyard or in the woods didn't have a choice. God planted it where He planted it. So much of creation does not, but man is created in the image of God and there is something to be said about that that separates us from all of the rest of creation. And one of the main things being created in the image of God is that He put man in dominion over the earth, right? And Adam, and to name the animals and, and replenish the earth and subdue it and so forth. But He also gave him a will. We have a choice. I can let God be my God. I can allow Christ to be my Lord. A little mullet swimming out in the Gulf of Mexico or the redfish, he doesn't have any choice. He just is what he is. He's content. He's doing what glorifies God and being what God made Him to be. Human beings are the ones that can bring the most uh, glory to God by living for God or the most shame to God and disgrace to God creating His image and being more perverted than an animal. You understand what I'm saying? And more off in, in what we should be. Because we have a will and we have a choice. And we don't always allow Him to be our Lord. Is He in fact... Not in, simply in a profession. Is Christ, in fact, in reality, in my heart of hearts, the Lord over my life? I'm not even asking, are you born again? Okay, that's another question. Is He the Lord of my life? And am I allowing Him to be the Lord of my life? That's the question. And it must be answered by every person on the planet. It must be answered by every born again person on the planet. That has to be settled because that is His righteous place as Lord. Jesus Christ's rightful place is as Lord. Okay, He's certainly not reigning and the Lord reigns, right? A certain, a certainly the Lord is not reigning over a lost man's life. In the big sense, He's over it. His days are numbered. The Lord knows Him and has it in control. If the man rejects Him, He's going to hell. If he accepts Christ, he's going to be his child. But certainly the Lord's not reigning in the heart and in the life of a lost man. But he absolutely must be and should be reigning in the life of every redeemed person, every saved person. He ought to be reigning. Savior of my soul and Lord of my life. Savior of my soul and Lord of my life. And you've heard this before. The, 
that Jesus Christ is actually called Lord more times in Scripture than He is Savior. I think that's significant. He's both. Praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But He's called Lord more times than He is Savior. And I think many are quick uh, many are quick to profess and to confess and to call upon Jesus to be their Savior. They don't want to die and go to hell. They want to go to heaven when they die. They want the gift of eternal life. They want that settled. And I say amen to that. But many are quick to call Jesus Christ and to trust Him and to rely upon Him to be their Savior, but slow or negligent to be submitted to His Lordship. Call upon Him as Savior. Save me from my sins. Lord, save me. Peter's walking on water and he takes his eyes off of the Lord and begins to sink. I know it's just a picture. He was a believer in the Lord. But he says, Lord, as he's sinking in the storm and in the waves, he prays a very short and effective prayer. Lord, save me. Shortest prayer we read about in the Bible. And Jesus helps him, right? Immediately he's back on the boat and he's safe. And a lot of people are quick to cry out to Jesus. And I would say even trust Jesus many to be their Savior from their sin and to to give them the gift of eternal life, but slow or or negligent to submit to His Lordship. I want Him to now steer the ship. And here's here's the problem. The nature of Adam, I say the problem, it's more like the the dilemma. It's more the reality. We still, as born-again people, have the nature of Adam within us, don't we? He's not totally eradicated in the sense that he's gone, and now I'm just this spirit being, but I still have a carnal nature that's present. The church of Corinth, we've talked about what they were carnal. They were born again and carnal. They were born again and fleshly and carnal in a lot of their judgments and a lot of their activities and their, the way they sinned and, and were just immature in, in all kinds of ways. Obviously, we know from the Word of God and from our own experience that the nature of Adam is not, though in a born again person is not totally gone, never to be, you know, there present at all. The difference now that we're saved is that we have the nature of Christ in us. We have been made partakers, past tense, of His divine nature. And greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. And I'm no longer a slave to sin, and I'm no longer a slave or, or limited to or bound up in what that nature of Adam wants to do. I don't have it's not given the orders anymore. Y'all understand that difference. This is not a sermon on that, but the point is that a saved man still has this nature of Adam residing in him. And that nature of Adam always is going to try to usurp the authority of God, of Christ in you, Christ in the believer. He's always that this is something to note as well. That old nature is never reformed. That old nature is not reformed and remodeled, you know, to and transformed. It's the new man. The outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. It's Christ increasing and that nature of Adam de- decreasing. It's not I'm going to take the nature of Adam, that carnal man that I am, and now that I'm saved, take that carnal man and make him more presentable and better. A carnal man needs to die. That's all he needs to do. He needs to die. And so, uh, what the, what that nature of Adam is, he doesn't want to go easily. He doesn't want to relinquish control of your life, of your saved life. You're born again. Okay? 
Christ is in you. And the Lord is greater than any other influence in your life. But he does not, that old man does not want to relinquish control. It's a result of sin. It's rebellion. It's part of that fallen nature. I said we have a will, and that old man still wants to exert his will and steer the ship, basically, of your life. The old man wants to run it. And maybe the old man tries to find a place where, where you can cope with it and have, have Christ and, and all the benefits that the Lord offers and still the old man have his place and continue to guide the ship in a life that's not too difficult. We've talked a lot about that before. But the old man's struggling and he longs to have control and he's still in rebellion against the authority of Christ. He's in rebellion against the One who saved us by His grace. Not only saved us by His grace, but in that salvation He purchased us with His blood. Right? And so, we think about this all the time. Purchased possession of God. You don't go into the store and buy a new shirt or jacket, a pair of pants or a pair of shoes and then leave them hanging up on the, on the hanger in the store and walk out and give them the money. You pay your money, you get what you paid for. Your car, your house, whatever. And Christ paid for us with His blood. He is the rightful owner of my life. He's the rightful owner of my life. The Bible says in Titus 2.14, who gave Himself for us as Christ, that He might redeem us as purchase us, from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Isn't that what the Bible says? He bought us with his blood, gave himself for us, and in so doing, when we put our faith in him, he's purchased us with his blood, but he's purchased us unto himself a peculiar people like a treasure. Okay? That's what it means. Something special like a treasure, like a husband, like a wife, uh, someone special to you. A peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what He's purchased us for and unto. The believer must die daily. This is just a sermon on lordship this morning. This is it. Okay, The believer must die daily. I'm not talking about the lost person. The lost person must be born again. The saved person must die daily. It's a continual ongoing thing. I think there's that one time when we identify with Christ... His death, my death. His resurrection, my resurrection. Romans 6 explains it in great detail. We reckon it to be so by faith. We need to. But then there's also where our Savior calls us to a daily dying of whoever will come after Me, whosoever let Him deny Himself, take up His cross daily and follow Me. And so the believer must abide in Christ. The believer must die daily. The believer must by faith reckon himself indeed dead unto sin and alive to God through Christ. We have to count on that as being so. I didn't feel dead to sin today and I didn't feel this and I didn't feel that. The Bible's not saying anything about your feelings. The Bible says count it as being so. Reckon yourselves indeed dead unto sin and alive unto God through Christ the Lord. That reckoning is a reckoning of faith. We believe it to be so. We count on it as being so. Not like I believe it might rain this afternoon. No, I count on it as being so. It's an established fact. And believers are to die daily. And we must allow the Lord Jesus Christ to freely perform His work in our lives. We must allow Him to. uh, To have free course. To have free reign. 
He's performing a sanctifying work in the life of those He's redeemed, right? Or being sanctified. Or being separated and being made holy in the sense of like our Savior. Morally. We're being. It's an ongoing process, right? We talked a lot about that as well. But we must allow the Lord to do that by the power of His Spirit. And there are... Uh, clear commands and definite commands in the Scriptures for the believers. And y'all, I was talking to someone just the other day about this. Someone in our church. We're having a wonderful talk about it. But the there are clear commands in the Bible. New Testament commandments for a New Testament believer. Commandments that He wants by which we're to live. And we're to yield. And we're to... Uh, Submit and we're to obey. And y'all, this is not legalism. This is that that teaching is so perverted and it's so messed up. I'm talking about if you didn't have anybody telling you one way or the other, one pastor or teacher or modern day author, you just picked up your Bible and read it. You would read through the Old Testament, then you get to the birth and the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, then we'd see about his ascension, he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem till you're nude with power from on high. And then they waited and they received. And then we get all the, the book of Acts and the church is growing and exploding and these signs are following them that believe. The gospel being preached and people are getting saved. And these epistles are written for the church. Not for lost people, but for churches. Galatians, they got into to false doctrine and, and followed the Judaizers for a period of time. Corinthian church, they got very carnal and immature. Uh, all these different churches and these epistles, they're for us. And in those epistles are commandments. Don't be scared of the Word. They're commandments for Christians. They're commandments for born-again people. And we're being told in so many circles that don't even mention it, don't even think about it, because then you're a grace hater, and you're a legalist, and you're a Pharisee, and you're trying to serve God in your flesh. If you don't know what I'm talking about, praise God. If you do know what I'm talking about, praise God. Okay? that we're a legalist or a Pharisee because we want to obey. We really want to. We don't always do it perfectly, nor do I. But we want to, and we see the calling of God to obey what He's called us to live. And I don't apologize for that, nor should we. That's not grace-hating. That's not trying to serve God in your flesh. That's not being a legalist, a Pharisee. And then all there's all the ridicule that comes on top of that from certain circles of Christianity. Oh, we know you're holy. You know, they don't mean it in a good way. They criticize it. But yes, I want to be holy. As he which has called me is holy, so be ye holy. I want to be. I'm far from what I need to be. I'm not arrogant and pretending like I'm something I'm not, but I still see the calling of God and I'm not shying away from it. That's what my God is making me. But what is my responsibility into that? In that, I need to yield. There is something I have to do. I say it all the time. You're getting on the interstate. Cars are going 70 miles an hour. You're going 20. Okay? You have to yield. There's a yield sign there. People don't do it, but that's what it's there for, okay? To yield. And that means you allow them to go. You're, you're being submissive to, the, to them in that circumstance. We have to allow the Lord to do this work in our lives. He is performing this sanctifying work in our lives. He is doing it. It's God who works in us both the will and the do of His good pleasure. But I'm told over and over again, I must walk in it. Yield yourselves. Allow. Submit. 
And so there is an allowing the Lord to, to have His way in His work. That means I could rebel against that, even as a Christian. In certain areas, certain times, certain seasons of my life, I could rebel again. I don't want Him to work patience in my life. I want to go to heaven and I'm saved and I'm a believer, but I don't want God to do this in my life. And so we're not yielding. And we need to allow the Lord to, to, to work in us and submit to Him. Now I'm not talking about being called legalists because we want to obey the New Testament Scriptures. It's not in order to save myself. I'm already saved. And it's not in order to keep myself saved. We're kept by the power of God through faith. The Word of God tells me. It is in order to glorify God. There's several reasons to glorify God. That we might please Him who's called us to be a soldier. It's pleasing to God. And also to, uh, for my own spiritual well-being that I would grow and mature. And sins that have been uh, tying me down and hampering me down and besetting sins, He's cutting the strings one by one and they're going off. And I'm freed up from these things as a believer. There's a lot of benefit that comes to my life as a Christian by obeying the Lord. Okay? And so, you make it legalism to you if you want to. I don't consider it that. You understand what I'm saying? You call it that all day long. If you want to call obedience to Christ legalism and being a Pharisee and then holding that standard up for your own life and holding that standard up for other people's lives, if they're going to preach in my church, I want them to be this. If they're going to teach Sunday school, I want them to live this. And hold, not, not that any of us are perfect, but there's a standard. I didn't invent the standard. God has the standard. Let's keep holding it up. And where we fall short, ask God to bring us in line. Okay? But don't apologize for it. You can be, you can call it legalism or be a Pharisee. Call it that if you want to. I love Jesus. And I want to walk with Him. And He's told me in His Word how to walk. And there's a real freedom in that. And I'm not bound up. I wonder if I just did that in my flesh. I can remember people in past years that would call me on a Monday or call D on a Monday and said, I went to Sunday school yesterday, but I don't know if I just did it in my flesh or not because they were so confused and messed up. It's just a stupid question. Go live for God. You understand what I'm saying? Just live for God. Didn't read my Bible the last six weeks because I thought if I, I didn't really feel like it and I thought if I did, I would just be doing it in my flesh. Well, where are they getting these thoughts? Their minds were so confused because they thought anything in obedience to the Lord, thou shalt or thou shalt not, they were scared away from that thinking that's not grace, that's not grace. But it is grace. It's God's grace to teach us how to live. And then His power by the Holy Spirit to enable us to do it. Right? And so it's not a legalism. And we need to allow the Lord... Uh, to never have the grace of God which He has bestowed upon us to be in vain. Because the Bible says, Paul says it could be in vain, but he goes, the grace that's bestowed upon me is not in vain. I labor more abundantly than they all. Yet it's not me, but the grace of God that's with me. There's like a partnership between the believer and God. It's not really me. It's the Lord doing it in me, but I am laboring. I'm cooperating with the Lord. I'm not rebelling and kicking against the pricks and, and, and trying to do it on my own and so forth. I just want to read a quote here. And it says this, Are you willing? And I think that's the key. Remember we talked about man? We have a choice. We're talking about lordship. Believers, will you and will I allow Him to be Lord? Here's a quote. Are you willing to die to your own strength to forsake your own plans for God's to seek out and to do His will absolutely, to take up the attitude of entire and absolute surrender to His purposes. 
as a question and it's a wonderful quote and that's what we're talking about today are you willing to do that because if we're willing then we're willing to come before the lord in prayer if we're willing we're willing to turn it over to god and say i'm not this i'm not that in that place of absolute surrender but i'm willing to and i'm willing to be made willing to and i know that's your rightful place in my life and i know that's the rightful place where i should be and so we come before the lord and, and we ask Him to help us. But He is Lord. Amen? He needs to be Lord. I want you to turn to, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. I thank the Lord that He's given us such wonderful real life testimonies and examples. I probably don't have almost a Sunday go by where we don't mention Saul of Tarsus and his conversion. Because to me it stands out as such a clear, stark, wonderful example of a life going one way, being arrested by Christ and repenting and going completely the other way. Okay, completely the other way. Let's just read this, Acts 9, 4-8. through 8. And he fell to the earth. Now this is, he's traveling to Damascus. He's got authority and letters in his hand to persecute the churches in Damascus. And he falls to the earth and heard a voice saying unto, saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? That's his first question. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Second question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. I've kind of studied that. They, they heard a voice. What the... What the men that were with traveling with Paul, they heard a noise. When I studied, it's a different word from what Paul heard when he heard a voice speak to him clearly words. We have it written here. As opposed, as opposed to what the other men heard, they heard a sound and a noise, but it was undistinguishable. They didn't hear Saul, Saul persecutest, why persecutest thou me? They heard a noise. Okay? And it says, they stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and, he, and brought him into Damascus. Now we know the story of Saul of Tarsus. He's there three days without sight. He didn't eat or drink, but he's praying. And so this was his conversion. God speaks to another man, Ananias, a believer in Syria and Damascus, who heard about Saul of Tarsus. And God says, no, go, you pray for him, Ananias. He's praying. And he's going to receive his sight. And he also received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, received his sight, and his calling all at one time. And saved three days, okay? Three days blind and praying, calling out to God. The Lord said, What He said, What will you have me to do? And and that characterized the rest of his life. Does that mean he was perfect or sinless from that day forward? No, he was not. But from that day forward, like I said, it's such a, a wonderful example of recognizing the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He knocks him off his horse. He blinds him. He speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why, do you, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And then his next response was what it should be. Lord, what will you have me to do? That's a question you should ask your Lord, right? Lord, what do you want me to do? What will you have me to do? And then I read the next few verses because I want us to see. He obeyed him. He says, Go into the city and it'll be told what you should do. 
He went to the city, and he was told what he should do next. That picked, that characterized the man's life. God changed his name to Paul, and and that characterized his life from from that point on. We see uh, so many who profess, as I said, Christ as Savior, and yet not trust Him to be Lord. Not want Him to be Lord, perhaps. And many who pray the sinner's prayer and yet have no understanding of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His rightful place to be their Lord and our Lord. Paul didn't make this mistake. Amen? Saul of Tarsus did not make that mistake. He, he was not Lord in theory. He didn't call Him Lord on the Damascus Road when He was blind and on the ground. He didn't call Jesus Lord as a slogan or a motto or a saying or a profession. He called Him Lord as Lord. And as evident, we know it from the rest of Scriptures, in His his obedience to the Lord, right? And so it was more than a profession. It was a reality in His life. And uh, too many, like I said, profess, profess Him as Savior, but not allow the Lord His rightful place as, as to have ownership over their lives. No understanding or willingness to surrender every area of our lives, of their lives, to Christ as King. He's called King as well, right? He's called King. Saul of Tarsus, from that very second forward to the day he was beheaded in Rome for this testimony for Christ, from that moment forward, not saying he never sinned again, but from that moment till the end of his life on this earth, he was under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He had a new sovereign, a new authority, a new king uh, over his life. He had a captain of his salvation. Isn't that what the Bible calls Jesus? Captain of our salvation and a lover of his soul. And so Saul, the man Saul, was captured and captivated and saved and yielded to the one he had spent years persecuting, trying to stamp out his name and all those that called upon his name. And now he's fully yielded to him. He still had a long way. The man still had a long way to go in his life to, to fulfill all God had for his life and to become more Christ-like in every way, just like we do. Long way to go. From the time we're saved to the time uh, when we see Him, we'll be like Him. Okay, But I don't think it's a long way to go for Him to have our will. That doesn't have to be a long time. If, if, a, if a painter's painting this masterpiece on the like Michelangelo on the ceiling, I don't know how long it took. It's quite a labor laying on his back and paint falling in his eyes and he was painting. And so he had a long way to go but to, to finish it when he first started. It was finished. And probably at times through there it looked like he would never get it finished. And same for us, the Lord's the potter and we're the clay and He's making us. And we have so far to go. Not to make it to heaven or be justified. We've been justified freely by His grace. Upon salvation, that was an instant thing. We were made righteous. He's just and the justifier of Him that believes in Jesus. But also, but to, to be made like Jesus takes time. It takes life. It takes, like we talked about on Wednesday nights, in this past Wednesday night, the trials and the tribulations of life in the hands of our Savior. Drinking the cup from His hand. He's, he's working in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. But once the will is surrendered, then He can have it. Even though I've got a long way to go. You all understand that. 
That's something the Lord had to deal with me about when I was at LSU. I was saved, but He didn't have my will fully. I had a long way, long way to go, and I still have a long way to go to be like Jesus. Okay? But I can tell you something profound and significant happened in my life. I mean, there was salvation, there's baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there's this moment in my life as far as my walk with God. In this moment in my life where I surrendered to the will of God and no preacher was around and nobody, it was just me and the Lord in my apartment and I said, take it. Take the whole thing. Take my friends. Take my life. Take it. I don't want to fight you anymore about it. And He took it. And He'll take your life. And if you're fighting the Lord, I'm not saying you're not born again, but there are areas in your life and you're, you're resisting what God's wanting to do. Saul of Tarsus didn't make that mistake. He didn't wait five years and do it like I did. He gave his life to Jesus on the Damascus Road. He was blind. And he obeyed the Lord. And that was it. And God used him in an incredible way. But the, the point is that even a believer can resist against that. And it's a profound thing when you can lay it all at the foot of Jesus and say, take it. Have I sinned since there? Ask my wife. Since that time? At plenty of times. Ask my children. I have. Is, have I ever changed my mind about surrendering my will to God? Never. You understand the difference? It's His. I've given over to Him. He is my Lord and my Savior. And so Saul didn't make this mistake. He was turned over to the Lord completely. And now he's serving the one that he tried to destroy. Destroy and put his name out. And stomp his name out. But you know when the Lord saves us, I think about the kindness of the Lord. When He saves us, no good sinner. And that's what we are. None good, no not one. Right? And He saves us freely by His grace. We didn't do one thing to earn it. We just surrender. We believe the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe this Gospel and turned our lives to Him. He saved us and He condescends. And that's the way I call it. He condescends to call me His friend. I mean, that's the kindness of the Savior. That's on His part. I'm going to call you my friend, Randy. He calls us His sons and His daughters and His people and His family and His children. Even His saints. And He calls us His body. And Christ is the head. That's on the Lord's part. But on our part, back to Him, I don't want to abuse that relationship. I call Him my friend. I call Him my God and my Savior and my Redeemer and my Deliverer, but I also call Him my Lord. He's my Lord. I'm not His Lord. He can condescend to call me His friend and His child and His son forever and ever. And I have that place just safe in the Father's hands. He loves me like no father could ever love me. And that will never change. But on my part, back to Him. I want to call Him Lord. He's my Lord and my Savior. David understood this even in the Old Testament. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. You know what he's amazed by? He's amazed that God would even call, take notice of him. I'm just a little peon. What are men in general when I consider the heavens? and the stars, and the sun, and the sky, and all of creation, and the tides, and the oceans, and all the different things. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of the man that you notice him? That's a good trait that David had. 
It's a godly trait. That's a right perspective. That I thank God He does. He called Abraham His friend. Jesus said to His disciples, I don't call you servants anymore. I'll call you friends because I'm telling you the things that I'm doing ahead of time. He allows us to have that relationship with Him. That's the kindness of the Savior, right? That's all on Him. It's not that we deserved it. And it's not for us to abuse that relationship and just buddy-buddy up with Jesus. And you know, if somebody you're not going to even hardly respect, you do what you want to do instead of what your buddy wants to do a lot of times, okay, if you're in the mood and so forth. That's never the case with, with Jesus. We're His sons and daughters, but He's our Lord. And we need to remember that. And so, God wants us from this day forward to, to be submitted to Him as His redeemed children that He purchased, okay, to be uh, submitted to Him and yielded to Him and gladly obey Him as Lord. Don't obey God and hate it the whole time. Ask God to change your heart. Obey Him. Do what's right even if you don't feel like it. That's another place you'd be called a legalist in many circles. Even if you don't feel like reading your Bible, guess what? Read your Bible. Are you saved? Okay, then you can do it, right? If you don't feel like praying and God says, the Word says pray without ceasing, men ought always to pray and not faint, and you don't feel like praying today, should you not pray or pray? You pray. So if you want to call that legalism or being a Pharisee, I don't see legalism even mentioned in the Scriptures. And I don't see Jesus comparing other people to Pharisees either in the Scriptures. Yes, you can get bound up in works. The Pharisees were bound up in works and they looked to their own inerrant goodness and obedience to the law to be their salvation and their righteousness and their right standing with God. And it made them, they thought, better than other men around them. False, false, and false. Okay? But we're talking to God's children and His people. There's things I expect from my boys as being part of this home and this family that I expect from them to do. Yes, commandments. Okay? Commandments. So are they going to be afraid of that and hate it and think their daddy doesn't believe in grace and mercy? No, that's not the case. We need to be yielded to that and gladly obey the Lord. Don't hate obeying God. Obey God whether you feel like it or not. And guess what? He'll change the will. He'll change the desires. That's the miracle part in the whole thing. Not that I prayed today, but that I didn't want to pray and I prayed. And guess what? As I've continued to pray and read my Bible, God has actually changed my desires and now I long to pray. That's the miracle. Not. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if you didn't go to work if you didn't feel like it? You didn't study or go to school if you didn't feel like it? You didn't get up and take care of your children if you didn't feel like it? Today I did, tomorrow I didn't, you know, all this kind of stuff. It would be crazy, but somehow we think grace covers all that in Christianity. And if I don't feel like lifting my hands, it would just be legalism. And well, no, the Bible says lifting up holy hands. It's almost like a command. Lift up holy hands and praise God. Lift up your voice. Pray for those in authority. Pray for pray for uh, believers. Pray for me, Paul said, while I'm in bounds, as though you were bound in bounds yourself. Bonds yourself. So there's lots of commandments for New Testament believers that are not legalism unless in your mind you've made it legalism. It's a walk with God is what it is. And there's great liberty in it actually and freedom. I don't have to serve sin. And I don't have to serve this old flesh when it's lazy either. I can serve God even when I don't feel like serving God. And then I'll ask God to, that I would Lord, change me to where I want to do it. 
I'm going out witnessing, street witnessing. I'm scared to death and I don't want to do it. I want to stay home and watch TV. But our church is going and I'm going. And the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. I'm just going by faith. But I have no desire in me to talk to those people out there about you. So what is the problem? Do you do it or not do it? I say you do it and you ask God, please change my heart. You told me that I'm an ambassador for Christ. You told me I have been given the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile other men to Christ. And I don't feel like it. But you love them. You feel like it. You're moved with compassion. God, this is where I have to pray and fast. God, move me with compassion, with your compassion. That's where I want to do it. That might take six months. That might take a while. But you don't disobey God in the meantime. You obey God. And as you're obeying God, you're asking God to change your heart. You're asking the Lord to change your heart. It has to do with lordship. And if I start calling the shots, I didn't feel like praying today and I was afraid I would just be doing it in my flesh, so I didn't pray. Who was really the Lord in that situation? I was. Because He's already told me in His Word, my Lord told me to pray. But I didn't feel like it. And I super spiritualized it. And said I'll be, I'll be abusing grace if I did it today. It's so perverted. It's so... Messed up. It's not of God. And all the while, guess what? The Lord abundantly strengthens us to do His will. Abundantly strengthens us. He's more than enough. He gives us more than enough. More than enough grace. More than, more than enough of His Holy Spirit. More than enough wisdom. More than enough of love and mercy and, and all that we need. All through my life, He's my provider. When we think of that Scripture, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, oftentimes we just think of finances. And He definitely provides that as well. He provided for where His name was first mentioned as being Jehovah Jireh. When Abraham offered up his son Isaac and about to kill him and make a burnt sacrifice of, of his son. And the Lord withheld him and provided a lamb instead that was offered up for a sacrifice. God provides everything we need. He provides the strength that you need to live this life He's called you to live. Don't get up in that whole, caught up in that whole argument. Nor pre, no, don't teach it or preach it yourself. That whole argument that if you're striving to live for God, somehow you must be striving to do it in your flesh. Now when the grace people sit back and just laugh at you and ridicule, oh, look at you, trying to be so holy. Yes, guess what? I am trying to be holy. I'm striving to be like my Lord and Savior. But I'm not striving in my own strength. I'm dependent upon the Holy Ghost in me. I'm dependent upon God to help me. So you go ahead and ridicule and stay in your um, whatever type of life, compromising or, or whatever type of life, and I'll pursue after God with all of my heart. And I believe the Lord's going to honor that. I know He is. Will we allow God to have His way? And I'm talking about, this is the question that has to be answered. We're going to be bringing this towards a close, but will we allow Him to have His way in our lives? To have His way. You understand what I'm saying? What is your way? What is your will? In our lives, in our families, in our future. But oh God, I had such plans for my future. So did Saul of Tarsus. He had plans, right? They were changed. They were changed when he met Jesus. Now you get up in the city and I'll tell you what to do next. In every step, in every moment, the whole rest of his life, the Lord led him in what to do. But I had such plans for my life, and if I let you be Lord, you know, and so forth, will we let him be Lord in every area of our life, in our finances, in our church, in this church right here, in our schedule, in our time on this earth? We sing that song, Take My Time Here on This Earth. Let it glorify you, all that you are worth. 
not in mere profession, but in reality. That's what Jesus Christ died to be, Savior and Lord. Amen? I want to read this Scripture. He is both. I'll just read it from Acts 2.36. It says, Therefore, this is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. God has made Him that. God has made Him both Lord and Christ. We must yield. We must bend. Not as I will, but as, as, thou, as the Lord wills. Amen? And, and often, y'all, and I'm going to bring this to a close, this is often where, where we struggle. I mean, this is just reality. It's where I struggle. Okay? Even as a Christian, even as a Christian that's been saved for many years and Spirit-filled and, and loving the Lord and walking with the Lord, it's still, that's still the struggle though, isn't it? But Lord, I want this. And I wanted this now. And, I want, and the Lord says, no, it's not time for your new building just yet. We're all Christians. We're all praying for the new building. We thought it was going to be Easter. Then we thought it was going to be whatever. These other D-dates. Guess what? It's going to be when the Lord wants. And, and, and instead of fighting against the Lord, we're still praying it. We're not wrong to pray that. Lord, let it be soon. Okay? But it's going to be when the Lord is ready. And so we wrestle. But I think about this. How, how different would my life be? And how different would my life be? Look, if I actually allowed Christ to reign or have His way in every area of His life. In every area of His life. Not simply to take God and then make Him work into my schedule, my life, and my plans and bring God along for the trip. Saul of Tarsus didn't bring God along for the trip. God gave him a whole new trip. Right? And how different would, would my life be? I think the... the uh, I heard this quote. You've probably heard it before. The world has yet to see what God can do through a life that's totally surrendered to Him. I would say other than Christ. The world has yet to see what God can do through a life that's totally surrendered to Him. I mean, I think our life would be different. My Bible reading would be different. My uh, Everything would be different. There would be a profound difference and it would permeate every area of my life. It would touch and affect and change and bless every part of my life. We would really be then living epistles known and read of men. In other words, when people see us, they would see Jesus. Not that we're Christ, but it's Christ in us. We would be so yielded to Him. The Lord would change and bless every part of your life. From the hidden man of the heart which nobody can see but God, to the countenance on your face. He would change it all and make it more like Jesus. Let's ask a few questions as we bring this to a close. Would my checkbook register or my credit card statement look any differently if I was fully yielded to God in every way? I'm not asking you to condemn yourself, okay? I'm just asking questions. Would my daily planner or my schedule look different if I was submitted to His Lordship in every area of my life? Would I have the same friends that I have now? That's a good one. If I was fully submitted to the Lord in every area. Would I have the same desires and goals and pursuits? Would my TV and my iPhone have the same content on it that it has now? Would I be as arrogant as I am now? Would I be more thankful than I am now? Would I be as lazy and prayerless as I am now? 
if I was fully submitted to the Lord in every area. If the Lord came down right now, I know He is speaking to us, but if He came down the way He spoke to Saul, okay, or Samuel in the Old Testament, or Elijah, or one of these, and He came down right now to, to Cornerstone Church, and He revealed His will to our lives or for our church, would we respond to Him? Would we say, yes, Lord, and allow Him to have His way? And obey Him. Look, will we say yes and obey Him even if it was costly? Even if it was costly. Even if it would demand some drastic change in my life. Even if it's not at all what I had planned for my life. I mean, as a Christian, it's not at all what I had planned for my life. And the Lord revealed His will. We knew it was God. spoke to our church or spoke to us individually. Would I allow Him to be Lord. I'm closing with these thoughts. Henry Blackaby, who wrote the Experiencing God book, a wonderful book, he had a couple of points, main points in his book. He says, you can't stay where you are and go with God. And another point he had that I thought was great, it fits with what we're talking about, the Lordship of Christ. When God reveals His will or His plans to me, I will have to make major adjustments, adjustments in my life to join God. He reveals His will to me, He's not the one that needs to adjust. I need to make major adjustments in my life to go with God and to join Him in what He's trying to do. He wants to say the Lord tells me He wants to bring revival to this street, to Kimbleton, to this neighborhood. And here's how I want to do it. I want you to have open up your home and seven days a week I want you to have people in and out you know, feed them and tell them about Jesus and have Bible studies. I'm just totally making up something. That would be a major adjustment in my life. Major you understand what I'm saying? But would I be willing to do that? Uh, Isaiah says when he saw the Lord lifted up, he said, when the Lord says, who can go for us and who can we send? And he says, here am I, send me. And he was already a godly man and a righteous man. He already knew the Lord and walked with the Lord. But he's seen a revelation. And with a deeper revelation came a deeper responsibility. And God put something else on him. And he had the willingness to send me, Lord, I'll do it. Going to take it, he became the prophet to uh, to Judah and to Israel and, and to the people, and one of the main prophets and prophesied the coming of Christ. And so we see it all through the Bible. Saul of Tarf- Tarsus, Lord, what will you have me to do? He became this apostle to the Gentiles and probably the greatest missionary the world's ever seen. He yielded to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Peter and the disciples. And I'll just read this. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, listen, they forsook all and followed Him. They forsook all and followed Christ. And Peter and these other apostles turned the world upside down, the Bible says. It's the yieldedness. There was nothing special about Isaiah or Peter or John or James or Bartholomew or Matthew or any of them. They were special in the sense that they surrendered to the Lord and He had this call upon their lives and they were used to turn the world upside down with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Evan Roberts and a group of young people praying on a Sunday night prayer meeting. The pastor wouldn't even allow him a Sunday morning to preach. He said, I'll give you a Sunday night. I'll give you 15 minutes on a Sunday night. He preached 15 minutes on a Sunday night. He said, who wants to hang out? Anybody want to hang out and talk a little bit more at the end and pray? 
And a group of young people stayed. I forgot how many. It was less than 20, I think. Stayed and they began to pray. And that's where the Welch revivals were birthed. His prayer was, bend me. Bend me. He's the potter, we're the clay. Take my will and bend it. And make it what you want it to be. One of the greatest revivals of Christ the world has ever seen came from that. He wasn't even a pastor at that point. He was in seminary. And a group of young people praying. But his prayer was, bend me. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said, Nevertheless, in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. And he paid the price for the sins of the world and made a way for all men to be reconciled. The question is not, is he Lord? But will I, as his child, allow him to be Lord of my life? I'm going to close with this scripture. You can turn with me. You can come on. Uh, Psalm 148. Let's have a scripture and one quote that I want to read. Psalm 148. 8 through 13. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all the all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heavens. It's talking about all of creation praising Him. It's talking about all of creation. Old men, you know, young men, maidens, kings and princes, beasts, creeping things, fish in the sea, sea trees, cedar trees, everything, praising God. Nobody can glorify the Lord as much as a born-again man that surrendered to His will in His image and the, and, and the reflection of Christ coming back through His life. Fully surrendered to His will. It does not glorify God when I usurp His authority. Even little points through the day are my life. I'm going to hang on to this. God, I'll give you 99%, but this is my little area over here I'm keeping. It doesn't glorify the Lord. It's not a praise to God. It doesn't mean He doesn't love me. It doesn't mean I'm not born again. It means He's going to keep dealing with me about it till He has all because He is Lord of all. Closing with the F.B. Meyer quote, and he's saying the altars are, even, are open even now. Jesus Christ has bought us with His blood, but alas, He has not had His money's worth. He paid for all, and He has had but a fragment of our energy, time, and earnings. By an act of consecration, let us ask Him to forgive the robbery of the past. Let us profess our desire to be henceforth utterly and only for Him, His slaves, owning no master other than Himself. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful quote. He purchased us with His blood, but He didn't get His money's worth. Okay? Doesn't mean He doesn't love us and we're not His children. He's saying if He purchased us to be a peculiar people zealous of good works, He hasn't gotten His money's worth out of my life. The money, the, the blood of Jesus, the price that was paid. And he says we can, it's a prayer. It's a surrender of the will. And we need God's help to even do that, but we can do that. He will help us to do that. And these altars are open, and, and the, the altar call is very simple. It's a question of lordship. Will you and will I allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord in my life, of every area of my life, to let Him have His way? And you might take it back a little and He will slap your hand and deal with you and you have to give it back again. Understand that. I'm not talking about perfection from this day forward. I'm talking about perfectly surrendered from this day forward. And God can help us to do that. Let's pray.